Welcome back to The One Thing Podcast. I'm Chris Dixon. Consistent high-level execution in any business, in any field, requires that there is alignment inside of that organization on consistent processes. Every leader wants their team to be agile, to move fast. But in order to run far and fast, you need to be able to stand up consistent set of processes that will enable consistent high-level execution over time. And today I was lucky to speak with Hilary Corna and Hilary shares with us what it means to be agile, not ad hoc, and how process can truly set your organization free to consistently execute over time. Here at The One Thing, we believe that having clarity on your purpose, your values, your big goals, allows you to prioritize the things that matter most, what you should say yes to over time so you can stay productive to the goals you've set for yourself and achieve at a high level. If you like what you hear on this podcast and you wanna learn more about how you can bring the principles and the concepts of the one thing to your life, to your business, to your team, check out theonething.com. Here, you can learn more about our one-on-one and group coaching packages where you can have one of our highly experienced and certified One Thing coaches and trainers support you in bringing these concepts to your life, to your business. Now let's go speak to Hillary Corna and learn how her experience at one of the world's most successful automotive companies has driven her on a mission to improve processes for organizations around the world. All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the One Thing Podcast. We are lucky to have Hillary Corna on with us today. Hillary, thank you so much for being on the One Thing Podcast. Everybody, Hillary is she's on a mission. She's helping CEOs create profitable processes that help their businesses scale. She's the founder of The Human Way, best-selling author, a keynote speaker, host of the Unprofessional Podcast, and has world of experience, uh, especially with Toyota. So Hillary, thanks so much for being here. Why don't you give yourself uh, an introduction for everybody listening? Amazing. Welcome, everyone. It's so nice to meet you, at least virtually. And yeah, uh, other than my really fancy bio that you just introduced me with, <laughs> um, <laughs> I really believe process is for everyone. And it's especially meant for smaller companies and individuals who are leading businesses who aren't in manufacturing or aren't the enterprise level businesses of the world like 3M and Boeing and even Toyota itself, that everyone has process and that it's actually a hidden strategic advantage. And the moment you tap into that and unlock what it does for you, just like the one thing does, you know, and you you learn to embrace it, like it's, it gives you everything you want. So I'm really excited to talk about that today. Yeah. When you say process, like yeah. I know what you mean, but just to give some context on like what process represents for you. Can you, can you go there? Like, what do you mean when you say process? Yeah, it's a way of thinking. You know, when you think about your way of doing things, even in your personal life, much less your businesses or business, even as an employee, you have a way of doing things that makes you unique. You have a process that you follow, a way of thinking around things. So, you know, one of the biggest myths out there is that people in sales can't do process. And it's actually completely false. Like, if you look at the best people in sales... There are certain details, the way they do things. And that's what you want to take and standardize to be the same way, the right way every time. And so whether it's, you know, you you email a follow-up within an hour of a call, that is an SOP. That is a, uh, you also sometimes hear like SLA, um, service level agreement for all my tech geeks out there. You know, that's a way of doing things that if you got everyone to do it that way, you could achieve the same type of result. So for me, process is, Everyone has a process for everything, the way they get up in the morning, uh, the way they talk to their parents, the way they parent their children. There's a process. And if you can see that there's a way of thinking behind what you're doing that can actually be replicated and scaled, that that's the power of it. But you have to see it. And so often people think that, you know, oh, it's just me or this needs me to do it for it to succeed. And it's not, it's just your way of thinking. And that if you pull it out of your brain, that way of thinking, no matter what the context is that we're applying it to, can actually be standardized and shared so that other people can benefit from it too. So that's what I think about when I think about processes. Like, it's your way of thinking about how you do certain things. Okay, makes sense. Well, how did you get into process? Like, what, what, where along yeah. the way did you pick up this, this skill and recognize the, the gap and, and start going into the field? Yeah. So process, it's funny. It's like people have a love or hate relationship with it. Uh, It's like 50-50. People either love it and, you know, your engineers of the world 
or the others. <laughs> and what's funny is people are always like, oh, so your community is engineers. I'm like, not really. Like I'm on a mission to help everyone else find the love for process that they just are not akin to right now. Um, and I found that through Toyota. So in my early years in grade school and high school, um, I was really, really fascinated with Japanese culture. My grandma actually lived in Japan for seven years, um, along with my mom through really formative childhood years. And so I always heard these stories from Japan and my grandma's house was full of like ornate art, uh, uh, art and, you know, decor from Japan. And I was just a curious kid. And I was always like, what is this vast land you call Asia? And when I got into university, I had studied Spanish for seven years and was like, I really want to study Japanese. And the dean of the business school was like, why would you start a language from scratch in college? And I was like, because I want to. And so I did. And I totally geeked out and I aced all my classes. I would stay late, go early. I just absolutely adored the language. And that led to studying abroad there, which actually led to an internship in Japan. And then after university, I ended up buying a one-way ticket back to Asia, but specifically Singapore. And uh, I didn't, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, you know, coming out of university, you're kind of burnt out on language. And so I was like, I need to be in an English-speaking country, an English-speaking country, which uh, Singapore is. And then I came across Toyota, funny enough. Um, at that time, Toyota was expanding their Asian regional office for um, that region of the world, Asia Pac, basically everything outside of China, Japan, and Australia was managed out of Singapore. So if you think about Korea, Taiwan, the Philippines, Indonesia, Malaysia, Thailand, all the way over to India and Pakistan, a total of 14 countries were managed out of Singapore. And so I went there without a job and I was like, I want to work overseas and you know, work in the Asia market, having been an international business major and um, found this position with Toyota under one of the masters of Kaizen in process improvement. Uh, and he was, his whole mission was expanding the principles and philosophies of Kaizen from the manufacturing side of the business to the sales side of the business, which was the dealerships. How, if these are just tools and techniques for managing process to achieve quality and excellence, why can't these tools and techniques be applied to the dealerships? Why do they have to be held within manufacturing? And so um, it was a new idea. This was like the early 2000s. And it was like the brainchild of Toyota Sun himself, who's a real person. For anyone that doesn't know, Toyota is actually a family name. And, um, and he had this vision of like the dealerships benefiting just as much as manufacturing plants. And so that's how I fell into it. I loved process. I loved ops in school. I loved the Japanese culture. I had direct experience with it. And then they swooped me up. And for several years, I just traveled all over Asia teaching these philosophies and learning the best from the best of the best in Toyota. That was a long wow, story. So cool. <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. The benefits that clearly Toyota has proven to be an industry leader in like consistent yeah. execution and high quality. And so they're leveraging this these processes on the manufacturing side that have given them success and then saying, how can we use the same methodology on the sales side, which speaks to like, there is a core benefit to these processes in, in any industry approach or sector. Yeah. And this is one of the biggest, I think, what I see as mistakes made in the world of process is that it starts with what you want out of it versus what problem are you trying to solve? It's very mm -hmm. different. If I go into a process of any industry, any size business, like take Toyota out of the equation at all completely. If I go into a process and I say, well, I want to reduce the time it takes and reduce the bodies that are touching this process. But you don't know the problem you're trying to solve in the first place. That can lead you in a lot of different directions. And you can actually create a process that hinders your customer's experience or even employee's experience by not meaning to. And so, so often it's the starting point of the process that matters the most. And people start with what they want out of it versus the core problem they're trying to solve. And this is a question that can be stolen and used really, I mean, even in personal life, which is what's the real problem you're trying to solve? And if you ask that question over and over again, you'll realize that sometimes we're like coming from the wrong place and it'll actually lead you in the wrong direction. 
But if you really get at the true problem you're trying to solve, then you can come up with a solution that fixes it rather than just, you know, for the sake of a, a vanity metric or um, feeling good about the process, you know, reducing bodies mm-hmm. or reducing time. Like sometimes a process needs time. If you want to secure a certain level of quality, you know, even in this podcast interview, right, you have a great process. I'm just going to shout out the one thing. The one thing had a great process for onboarding me as a guest. I've seen a lot of podcasts that don't have great processes up front. So then the guest gets on and there's like distorted camera views or blurriness or the mic's wrong. But if you put that up front and you take the time you need to ensure the quality you want, you actually save time on the background. So it's it's a really hard concept in, in American culture and Western societies to understand, which is like put quality first. It's really been lost in the last decade or two of you know, just efficiency and productivity being the main goals. Eating healthy is an investment. It's an investment in yourself, but it also often requires an investment of your time. But good news is Factor has delicious ready-to-eat meals that are ever fresh and never frozen. They're chef-created, dietitian-approved, and ready to eat in just two minutes. With Factor, you can choose from a weekly menu of up to 35 options, including popular things like Calorie Smart or Keto Direction or Protein Plus or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover 60 more add-ons every week like breakfast on the go, lunch snacks, beverages to help you stay fueled, feel good all day. And we know our listeners here at The One Thing are focused on health and health goals. That's why we choose to partner with Factor. And if you visit factormeals.com slash 150 and use code 150, you can get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. Again, that's factormeals.com slash O-N-E-5-0 and use code O-N-E-5-0 to get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. Yeah, I love what you said there, like starting with the problem, like what is the problem you're trying to solve or what's the pain that that you're trying to solve for? And is is another way I've heard that said and there's there's something to the quality as well that you mentioned versus what what seems to be sometimes at the mercy of going fast or yep. getting to market or like how do you see that balance yeah. in in your opinion of mm-hmm. of hey look like we need to go fast like startup kind of mindset MVP minimum viable product oh, kind goodness. of lean, lean six sigma kind of thing um, or startup lean. <clears throat> against what is like, hey, we need a clear set of processes. Like, <laughs> like if you don't have the right perspective, I could see someone seeing like one is brakes and one is gas. And yeah. how do you walk through that? This is the ultimate question. So a couple things. Um, I want to say just first off, easy peasy, just hit the hit hit the ball right out of the gate is it actually makes you faster. So mm. like in the clients that I work with, They'll have sometimes a whole theme for a quarter around process and make like two to three changes. And then if they follow our process, our approach to doing process improvement, then they end up changing 50 to 60 problems and improving 50 to 60 problems in six months. So it actually speeds it up. It's a myth that it slows you down. What it does is it transfers when you're spending time. Instead of taking fixed, fast action, and then checking the result and spending a lot of time trying to correlate the result to the original problem, which ultimately you can't, which is essentially trial and error, right? We switch that. We spend the time on the front end, get it right, so the checking is so much shorter. So it actually is faster. This is a huge myth. You can do a lot more if you do things well. Um, and uh, the other thing that's really interesting about like the conversation of efficiency and productivity is it's, I I really would love to bring back the word effectiveness. Like we can applaud efficiency, but what about effectiveness? How effective are we in our work? And I really think that as business owners over the last decade or two, we've mistrained employees. We say be agile, but really they're just being ad hoc. Hmm. It's, it's become a guise for not knowing the answer. Just do something and I'll feel good about it. And I have a lot of empathy for leaders because there's a lot of pressure. People have to move quick. There's a lot of competitive forces and all these things. But we actually aren't giving our team members 
the grace and the tools, the need to actually solve the problems well. And if you say to someone, hey, I don't want a draft. I actually don't want an MVP. I want you to get it right. That is a very, very different conversation. A draft, I can bullshit an answer. Excuse me, language. I don't know if you cuss in the one thing. <laughs> <laughs> I can BS an answer and like, oh, I can guise it under this. I was being agile. I was shipping a product. I was creating an MVP. At least it got us started. But what story do you really want to tell? Or do you want to give them a little bit of time and say, no, when you show me something, I want to see something good. I want to see something that actually solves the problem. And I want to see that you can show me results. Very different conversation. Now, you got to give them a little bit of a t- more time or tools or resources, whatever that may be, to do that. But do you, do you want a half-ass answer that's going to make you feel good about yourself or taking action? Or do you want an answer that's actually going to solve your problem? And I think, unfortunately, we've been encouraging the first under the guise of all these methodologies and buzzwords, but it's actually just ad hoc behavior. And the other thing to this is like, it doesn't create, if you really think, okay, I've never told this story on a podcast before. So here we go. Like two years ago, (laughs) Facebook opened up their office in Austin, one of their big headquarters. And um, a friend of mine started working there and she was at a birthday party and she had had a few too many glasses of wine. And she was just like, you know, Facebook claims they love anonymity and they love empowering people. But like, I don't talk to my boss all but once a week. They barely check on me. They don't give me the tools and resources I need. And they guise it under anonymity. And I thought, this is so interesting. Like, why are we doing this to our people? And so I really, truly believe, and I've seen this time and time again with the experiences of our clients and doing process transformations across these organizations that people want predictability and safety. People want to know what's expected of them. If you give them a blank slate and say, do whatever you want, it actually does not cause them relief. Like it caused them pain. They go and they complain to their friends. Like, I don't know what's expected of me. And so if you really think of human nature and process, people want to know what's expected of them. They want clear roles and responsibilities. And they want to know how they're being measured in terms of success or not. They want to be good. Like in this world, you have to believe that people are whole and complete. And they're doing their best. And that's where process is failing, I think, as people, you know, it's under the guise of being agile, all these things. And we're not actually serving the very people that we want to serve, which is our employees and our customers. It's a process. I mean, you, yeah. Th- I was talking to Liz Weissman. She wrote mm-hmm. a book called Impact Impact Players. And she talked about one of the distinctions of how she would qualify an impact player was that they can handle anonymity. They can they can not necessarily thrive. And that's the distinction that she made that I think is important here is that they can deal with it when times are like that. Sure. And, and maybe you're in a, in a big shift or a big change uh, in an organization or there's just, just not necessary, but just, I guess, consequential anonymity that you're, you're just in that place and they can do well. Uh, they don't necessarily thrive in that but or seek it out, but can handle it. But that's just a certain select number of people. Like There's, there's the it's kind of the the middle, like the majority, the average team member, which is a good place to be. Average is, yep. is you need those people. They're not going to do well in that space, and especially for, not for long periods of time. And you're doing a dysfunction or disservice to your the, you know, the middle of your team for the most part by not giving them clear processes because they don't operate well in those circumstances. So the in you, you spoke about this distinction between agile versus ad hoc, and I so true because. You do want to be nimble as an organization, but what you're saying is, if I understand, is that laying that foundational set of processes allow you to be agile. But if you try to go first to be like agile, you're really just being ad hoc. You're you're just you're without a clear set of consistent systems and processes that are going to enable you to ultimately be agile. Yes, and. It doesn't mean you need to have a process for everything. This is another thing I see. They're like, look at our, literally, I just had a client recently be like, look at our 400 processes. And I'm like, oh boy. (laughs) They had a documented 400 processes. Um, You don't need to standardize everything. What do we mean by process? It's ensuring the same way, the right way every time. How do you sculpt and scale a world-class business 
you have to be able to become known for something. And the only way you become known for something is doing it the same way. Imagine if all your salespeople do sales different ways, you're never going to become known for a certain sales process or a certain experience of sales that your customers have. And so if you, you know, if you're, I, I don't like this idea of like only, you know, we only want the impact team players because like you notice that's an anomaly to really run an organization well you can't have just constant unicorns. They'll all, they'll all do their own things, their, their own different ways and think that each one of them is the best. And, you know, I, I'm, you know, looking outside of employees, when you think of an entire company, your customers don't remember a department. They remember a company. So this variability is a word I use a lot. And I find myself saying time and time again, is if your experience for your customer, agnostic of what product they buy, whatever vertical they're in, is variable, meaning they have a great sales experience, you get handed over to post sales or fulfillment and like suddenly they suck, or reverse, uh, they they the customer remembers you. They don't remember the department. They don't say, oh, that sales department sucked. They say that company like is disjointed, right? And as a consumer, this is the best way to think. If you ever really struggle with relating the process, just think of the companies you hate. (laughs) (laughs) Typically, it has to do with poor process. I had a company that was uh, personally that I hired recently. They had this huge onboarding, which is one of my biggest pet peeves right now is how companies are offboarding their onboarding to the customer. Fill out these paperwork, fill out this form, submit this application, whatever. And then I get into the call for sales and they didn't have any reference to the material that I spent like 20 minutes filling out for them. So not only am I annoyed because you offboarded your responsibility and your job and your company's processes to me instead of having a body to do it or whatever, many other reasons. And then you didn't even use the information that I gave you. It's like a double whammy. And so I think people, you know, with organizations, it's, it's just a complete myth that it slows you down. It's a complete myth that um, standardization like holds you back from being agile. It actually gives you the freedom and it actually differentiates your business. It's actually what creates your unique way of doing things and is a strategic advantage if you standardize the things that make you great. So I've heard this um, quote quite a bit thrown around, around, you know, um, standardize the replicatable and humanize the unreplicatable. So one, you do not need to standardize everything. You do not need to document every process. And you do want to use that to then be nimble where it's applicable. Can you say that again? So standardize the replicatable and and then humanize the unreplicatable. Yeah, or humanize the unique, right? The unique, okay. Yeah, I'm probably butchering the quote. And I actually don't recall offhand who said this originally. I'll have to look it up. But- the idea being you need to know what is expected for all people in one role to do the same way every time. And then there's certain elements of that process that they need to be able to be fluid in. And so you standardize those pieces that you need to ensure the same way, the right way every time. And then you let go of the other ones. You don't need to standardize everything. We're not robots. Mm. I was going to ask you, what about in scenarios like a startup comes to mind when they're trying to to <laughs> find their way, and they're yeah, I mean, perhaps is doing a lot of yeah, like a lot of new like mm-hmm, a lot of new like product yeah. discovery, a lot of launch, a lot of shift, a lot of change. Uh, how would you recommend a new business or like a very evolving business or a high dynamic environment how they would implement process? Yeah, so it's actually also counterintuitive that like early stage businesses don't need process. It's the same. What I find is they tend to start a process and if it doesn't work, they wipe the slate clean. They start it over. doesn't work, they wipe the slate clean and they get everyone in for a full day workshop or a half day and they whiteboard and they brainstorm and they start all over. And that's actually taking you like three steps back. So what I would advise is when you look at the process for whatever you're designing, you might be designing onboarding, you might be designing new marketing funnels, you might be designing... Um, customer experience and like client success processes, whatever that thing is, and you have an idea, 
don't wipe it clean. Put to paper what the idea was and look at what pieces of that idea was broken. Fix those. Because the whole idea is not broken. And what that does is teaches you to to improve incrementally the things that are broken rather than starting all over. And this is where it actually speeds up your growth rather than slowing you down because you need to evolve your processes. You don't need to wipe them completely and start over from scratch. Then you're actually pushing yourself back. Um, And I I get this a lot when people say, well, we just created this thing and now we're going to change it all over again. Not if, if you if you wipe it completely, you're going to change it all over again. But if you take you what you built and you say, okay, what if this didn't work? What pieces of this process failed us, and what do we need to improve? Where do we have problems? Where do we need to develop countermeasures? Then you're only changing a few things. You're usually only tweaking and refining rather than just starting from scratch. Mm. Yeah, it makes sense. Can you tell me about the the human way? And what that means in in process for you and how that approach is built. Well, let's just talk about technology because the reason we call this the human way is because everyone thinks the answer is in technology. And in all of our activities with clients, even, and I do this because it was born out of our time at Toyota, we would always say, how do you improve a process without spending any money? Revolutionary idea. (laughs) (laughs) That if you actually put that parameter on you, that constraint, you can improve processes for many a month's quarters and years without ever spending a dime. But for some reason in the US, our mindset is like technology will solve everything. Technology will solve everything. And I'll just put it out there. If you have a poorly designed process, and you implement technology, all it's going to do is amplify a poorly designed process. You have to design the process first, then match the technology to the operation. Don't implement technology and then change the operation to match the tech. I see this all the time. I I believe it. So an an example could be perhaps you don't have a uh, yeah, or like you don't have a great project management yep. process when the people who ownership, how you break things down, but then you say, we know what, we're going to go and we're going to spend money and, and get Asana, and pay for a, a exactly. subscription to Asana. But now you're just inserting a, a poorly managed process into a very powerful technology, but it just amplifies, like you said, the, the process well, itself is not well designed. Yes. And here's what happens. You implement Asana and you don't know how to fucking use the tool. Like Asana can be used for a million things in a million different ways. It's an incredible technology. But well, another thing is people think you need really complex frameworks and tools. You don't. And so if you go in blindly to Asana and suddenly, suddenly start trying to use it for P- like your project management uh, of any sort, but you don't know what you need your project management process to do in the first place, you're actually going to just bit put, you're going to layer a default process onto something that your business doesn't need. And mm. I see this all the time with businesses where it's like, I just wish if I could communicate anything that like, if you actually ask the question, what does my operation need? One, it's usually a simpler answer than technology or money or anything else. You don't actually need a revolutionary idea. It's usually a tiny, tiny idea that hurts your ego because it's so simple. And two, if you ask ask your question, what does the operation need? It depersonalizes it and it tends to give you the answer. Instead of, oh, here I am, a really intelligent person, leader, professional. I got to figure out my project management process. Um, It puts so much weight on you and if you really look at your processes as like a living, breathing organism, you already are following processes and it needs something. It needs a checkpoint before you get on the podcast interview to make sure the audio video works. It needs a checkpoint before your onboarding to make sure all paperwork was submitted before you carry out the onboarding call. If you actually ask your operation, it sounds a kooky, I get it. But like if you look at the operation and say, what does it need? It will tell you, you don't have to come up with the answer but you have to have the humility to do so. And so when we say even like the human way, one of the reasons why we designed the name 
that way is because it's not about technology. It's not about, um, uh, you know, something else solving our problem, implementing something else. It's actually using and tapping into the resources of your people who know the process best to say, this is what our operation needs. And at Toyota, we knew that. Whenever we had a biggest problem, we were stuck in a fancy boardroom, couldn't solve it. We would say, go to Gemba. And Gemba in Japanese means the front line. And the reason we would go to the front line is because they were the ones carrying out the processes. They were the ones talking to the customers. They know what the operation needs. We didn't. We were from headquarters. Who were we to say that we could understand what the process needed? And so, yeah. yep. If you're in a, a customer, well, everyone has customers, but if, you, if you're thinking about, what came to mind for me there is if you're thinking about trying to create a, a product or a solution for the market, using your customers as that front line, like to gather the feedback and before oh. you go try to build and design a, a product, or a solution that you intend to sell, uh, get some, get the appropriate feedback. How do you say it in Japanese? What was the Gemba? Gemba. Okay, so go. Can Gemba be your customers, perhaps as well? A hundred percent. And I fall guilty of this too all the time, where I'm like, ah, you know, how should I price this product or whatever? And if I really like can uh, have the humbleness to be like okay, maybe the answer isn't in me. I don't need to even have the answer. But if I just ask the people who would pay for it, like it takes a lot of humility to say that. And I've done it before. I've surveyed clients and for how processes can be improved. I mean, even for myself, I'm always improving. But yeah, going to Gemba and asking them is a, is a kind of a revolutionary concept, even though it seems so simple. Yeah, I'll plug a concept from the One Thing book. But it's it's called moving from E to P. But it, the 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 saying is you're moving from entrepreneurial to purposeful, mm. and this is like a mindset shift. And the idea here is in being purposeful, you're leveraging the skills, strength, knowledge of others, and models, and other people's experiences to then inform what you're doing, so you can break through this kind of natural ceiling of achievement. Like you can only accomplish so much if you go in, like if you just try to build from your own mind or, or from your own awareness and leveraging the skills and knowledge of others and perhaps existing models or, or use cases is, can help you break through that ceiling of achievement. Do you see a parallel there? Yeah, it's actually really interesting because I think about your original question about the, you know, well, what if I'm a startup or an early stage business? But it's actually the irony is your, I, your attachment and commitment to being an early stage business you know, one that like wears many hats or um, is really good at putting fire drills. Like that's the very thing that's keeping you stuck is that limitation and belief system. It makes me think mm -hmm. of like, you know, if you think, no, we're going to be a great business, we're going to advance our operations to be, you know, to deliver the same way, the right way every time and keep the customers and do more business with the same customers. Like that is the, if that's the belief you want, then you'll create it. If somebody is, they're listening to this and they're like, oh, okay, all right, I, I, I'm, I'm getting this process. Well, where do you think they should start first to bring some awareness to areas that they could focus or improve their processes? Yeah, a great question to ask is, where are we falling through the cracks? Um, it really cuts to the chase. Like if you, if you just simplify it to the very question of where are things falling through the cracks or where are we falling through the cracks for our customers? your people will say something. They will not be silent. It's almost impossible. They know the answer to that question versus what we tend to do is go outward, take these big ideas, like we're going to implement this huge concept into the business. And it's actually not the company needs. And if you really just go inwards and ask this question and really empower your people to ask the question of, you know, where are things falling through the cracks? Um, it simplifies it to the very things that your customer needs that they're not getting. So that goes back to, you know, the question about, do we need to standardize everything? The answer is no. If you really look at an entire customer experience, which in our work, we, we um, use the tool called a goods and information flow. And in one page, we document the entire customer experience across all departments in one visual tool. And in that tool, there are always 
limited points that matter the most to the customer. We think everything matters. It doesn't. If you really ask the question, what are the top three to five touch points that matter the most to the customer? The answer is very clear, typically. And those are the ones you should focus on, not all of them. We tend to focus on the whole thing. So you could apply the 80-20 principle here, perhaps, and say, what are the 20% areas the customer is focused on that will deliver 80% of the results on their experience? 100%. So identify those. And even even as you said, like the what's fallen through the cracks, like what are those things? Like what are the if we focused on building a process around the twenty percent of those things that are or challenged with that could potentially deliver the eighty eighty percent of the results towards our efficiency, whatever that pain is that we're trying to solve. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Okay. So if it as far as implementing new processes, I know you talked about the human centric or the human way, which mm. is like focus on your people, focus on the person. Don't necessarily default to, I bet you there's a piece of technology we could implement here because that's really more of like an exponent on a good, on a good process, not a solution for a bad process. Mm. Where, where should someone go next if they're, they're feeling like, okay, I've, I've got some clarity on the, what those cracks are and I've, I've prioritized them. How do they go and best start to build a process? Yeah. So um, if, it, if anyone finds it helpful, we actually have a free tool on the website for how to document processes because I honestly got so sick of asking, answering the question over and over again. I was like, okay, we have to build a tool that helps people do this because I don't know why it's not out there. But um, one of the things that holds people back from even starting anything in process is one, they don't identify with it. So let's take that off the table and say, okay, you've listened to the last 20 minutes or so. You're like, okay, I'm ready to buy in. That process can help my organization or help my life. How do I... Can you... Sorry to interrupt you. Yeah. Can you say what, what the website is? So if anybody's like, yes, I want <laughs> yeah. I want that now. Where, where do they get it? Good detail. Uh, HillaryCorner.com. My name. So H-I-L-A-R-Y-C-O-R-N-A.com. And it's a simple... Uh, I think four or five page tool. My goal was to make it as simple as possible because it's typically overcomplicated. And in that tool, the whole idea is before you can start improving anything, before you can actually come up with ideas for how to fix and solve or develop countermeasures to problems, you have to understand what it is today. What's the current state? At Toyota, we always started with this. And we would plot out entire flows on walls with post-its back before we had cloud technology, not to (laughs) age myself. And the reason is, if you get everyone in a room and you talk about process, it's going to flow in circles around what's the problem, what's the root cause, what's the solution, and how to implement it. And it's just going to go in circles and circles and circles, and you're not going to get anything done. I've seen this time again. I've heard this time again. We need to have a sequence for how to solve your problems. The first thing in that sequence is documenting the current state. And the reason is, then you can speak from fact. This is what's holding most people back, is you have five different people doing it five different ways, so all of their perspectives are biased. Your salespeople sees one angle, your fulfillment or production people see another angle, your CS people see another angle, but they don't see the one way that it's supposed to be done. And so this tool helps you do that. But essentially, uh, we need to eradicate assumptions from process. So by documenting the current state, you're not making assumptions about what it is or what it's supposed to be. It's actually the fact. And from that point, then you can move forward and turn it into action. And this is the this is the very first step that no one wants to do. <laughs> but once you do it, it's actually, you realize that it's the most crucial. And one of the f- most fascinating things in all of this, is I'm telling you right now, if you just document your current state and you put to paper what it's supposed to be, and then you educate on that, I tell you right now, that will solve 20% of your problems. The whole 2080 rule, that's funny too. Uh, it will solve 20% of your problems because most of your problems are just a disagreement about what it's supposed to be. And you don't have to change anything. Mm. You don't have to add anything new because you're just solving problems around disagreement of what it's supposed to be and getting it agreed to the one way. Mm. The one thing. <laughs> exactly. The it's, it's, you, you talked about the like 
agreement. You're saying like agreeing, like what is current state? And it's interesting because I find that that's so powerful, even in even in like leadership development conversations. It's like locating like where are we today, and then you can figure out where you want to go. And that I think that applies to to this too, and in, in development of business. But if no one agrees where we are, then it's hard to move in any direction together because you you're not first establishing like like let's locate like where are we right now? What is our current problem, and how should this be done? Because then we can move to an improvement. Yeah, and people think that's oh that's adding another step, but it's speeding up on the back end. And so, mm-hmm. as an example, like you're not going to become known for something if every one of your sales team members do things differently. You're not going to become known for something if all of your CS people are individually known by your customers. Like you need you need your customers to know your company, not individual people in the process. And um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I grew up around uh, around aviation, and mm. I I got my pilot's license really young, and uh, took a different career path, but the it was I was really lucky to be exposed to that because I can I can see on the other side of of where I think is a good use case of of really high performing processes. Mm. And you look at like the aviation industry as a whole, the FAA. I mean, it's safer to fly on an airplane than it is to sleep in your own bed, um, statistically speaking. <laughs> wow! <laughs> because because of, of the fact that they follow very consistent processes. Uh, exactly. And if you think about what pilots do, what the airline industry does, I mean, they've got really well flushed out processes and consistent execution because of that. Mm. I think that's, there's something to that for me when I think about processes on the other end. Like I, I, I live in a world of training. I lead teams. And why what I want to see is a consistent level of execution that I can measure against and move uh, one way or the other. Uh, if it, typically up <laughs> improved execution, but if you have inconsistent inputs, it's hard to really measure consistently on the outputs. You're so you have to language. see like, hey, we're yeah, we have to have some. And you, don't, I always use like the bumpers on the bowling lane analogy. Mm-hmm. Like you have to kind of appropriately set the width so that people can do like this, the art and the science of the job mm-hmm. or the, the the thing they're doing. But kind of define that appropriate width. Uh, of of span of control that they have, and then you can create consistent input execution or input quality, so that the execution on the other end is is more consistent. Like you're talking about the sales teams, for example, like they're all selling differently and following a different process. Uh, that's it's high impact to the the overall output or even the customer experience. And this is how you become the Toyota way. Toyota could never say we have the Toyota way if they had no guardrails. There would be no way, mm-hmm. right? Um, Four Seasons is a really good example of um, mm. how they've used consistency in processes. And, and you know, they can have um, clear guide rails for people that are welcoming their guests, right? Like as you enter the lobby, how do you welcome a guest? But what happens when a guest walks in a door with four dogs? That's not written down in a process because you'd have you'd be one of those mm-hmm. companies with 400 processes for all of the anomaly scenarios. You want to design process for the default experience, the thing that happens mm. the most every time, not all the different scenarios of what's possible that could happen. And then you need to teach for how to manage those anomalies, right? And anyone at Four Seasons knows how to manage if a person walks in with four dogs. They, it's, you know, there's, there's logic to that and common sense. And so in process design work, we talk about, you use the word consistency. It's one of my favorite words other than variability, <laughs> counterintuitive. <laughs> but when we deliver the same way, the right way every time, we drive consistency. You have to do that first before you move to the next step, which is differentiation. And I see companies time and time again, they try to differentiate, but they don't yet have consistency. And so as a consumer, I'm sure you all have been there before where you're like, oh my God, they sent me a birthday card in the mail and I didn't even like what I got in the first place. Or they're already trying to sell me something else, but my install hasn't finished yet. When you have inconsistency, you actually piss your customers off a lot, really, really easily and quickly because you're jumping to differentiation because differentiation's cool. It's sexy. It's fun, right? Like birthday cards, gifts, all these like fancy marketing or whatever. Consistency is not sexy. It's boring and rudimentary, but I truly believe I'm on a mission to like help people find love and joy in the boring. Like just doing it the same way, the right way, every time. Like 
look at the peace that comes with that having to, rather than having to like jump to something that is sexy and differentiating and new and innovative. Like it's actually counterintuitive to the, to the very thing that your people are asking for. Yeah, there, there is definitely beauty and consistency and at least like a baseline level of consistency that like is there. Cause then you could perhaps in certain circumstances, you there's like a higher level of execution tier yes. you can go to that maybe has a little bit of variability, but the baseline is there of like, we're going to at least hit this mark every time. And then you'll have those like high performers that, yes. you know, you, you kind of bring up the bottom, hold the middle and then enable the top mm, performers. Beautiful. Yeah. So in, in process development and competency around process, we talk about three stages of companies operations. Early stage, mature, and advanced. Now your advance is what most people compare in the world. It's what you see in keynotes and books and conferences, your Boeings, your 3Ms, your Starbucks, your Airbnb case studies, right? I would actually encourage you to not even look at those. Sometimes they're just too big and not comparable to where you are, which is the majority of businesses are in early stage or mature. And as you develop your operations to become more sophisticated, to become more refined, more consistent, et cetera, you shift from early stage. You break that commitment to like, oh, we are a company that wear many hats. Okay, well, good luck with that. That's only going to last so long. <laughs> you're, you're creating your own ceiling, right? And you shift to one that's a little bit more mature. And then from there, you shift to one that's a little bit more advanced. And that's the journey. That's how you become known for something. You establish a reputation of excellence and quality. And then people can say, that's the Toyota way. And ultimately what this comes down to, Chris, is like, why do any of this, right? Because in business, if you do not become known for something, if you do not establish a reputation of quality, excellence, reliability, someone someday is going to come in and do it cheaper, better, or faster than you. That's it. And you're going to become replaceable. So if you don't want to become replaceable and you want to be irreplaceable, you have to be known for something above just the product that you're selling. This so yeah, it's well said. Way. Yeah. I, I, I was speaking with the chief design officer for Pepsi uh, cool. recently, and he was talking about very similar to, to what you're saying. He said, in the landscape of the future, you will not be competitive unless you are doing something excellent. And his approach, very similar to yours, is that you have it has to be a very human centric thought process, like thinking about the people and what you do to either enable internally and or externally the growth of of the human being and like being very very human centric. So I think you guys have a lot of alignment in the way you're you're thinking about oh, you from the process you. side and him from the design side, but I think there's a lot of similarity. That's such a compliment. Thank you. And what happens is when you ask your people, hey, where are we falling through the cracks? What could be better? How are we not serving our customers? And you go inward rather than outward, you actually create so much loyalty, so much longevity in your people because they start to take their ideas and implement them. And this is what mm. Toyota knows. On average, Toyota receives a million ideas a year from their people. And then people wonder, why is Toyota a lifetime employment company? Why do people stay with them for life? Because they actually put the ideas, uh, you know, they put their people's ideas into action and value them. And, and then what happens is, even with the companies I've worked with, like what's so transformative is these people... I'm just the vessel, the facilitator, help them guide through the process, but they have the answers. They don't want to leave because they spent two years designing these processes. It's their ideas and now they're in action. And there's so much pride and awe that comes from that when they're yours. And that's why it's the human way. When we, um, an analogy that I really love, would love to share, and I hope is really inspiring to everyone, is that Again, going back to this whole idea that process isn't for everyone and maybe you like it, maybe you don't. For those that still are like, ugh, this sounds horrible. <laughs> I love to think of a quote from Michelangelo who, um, when he was designing the David, he was asked the question, like, how did you come up with the idea for David? And he said, I didn't come up with the idea for David. David was already in the concrete slab. I just had to find him. 
And I feel that same way about process. Like you have beautiful processes. The one thing has beautiful processes. I don't care how big or small of a company you are. I've seen $200,000 businesses with excellent processes, but they're 10, they tend to be cluttered by people that don't follow the process, by uh, legacy employees that don't think the process matters anymore, by people who think there's a better way to do the process. So they just stopped doing it the old way and started doing it the new way, but didn't tell anyone. All these reasons are cluttering your beautiful David, but it's in there. And you just have to chip away at the problems, chip away, chip away, chip away until you find it. Um, and that's how you become David. And, and that's how you become a world-class business. Mm, well said. I think that's a, that's a great quote to, uh, to wrap on. And <laughs> I, I, always, I always ask, and it might be what you just mentioned, but if you could have the listeners take away just one thing from our, our conversation today, what would it be? That process is the very thing that will set you free. And if you still feel aversion to it, you don't need to take it on. You don't need to become the expert in it. CEOs don't need to be an expert in it, but help your people be experts in it. And it will be the exact strategic advantage that you've been hoping and wishing for. Awesome. Well, if the listeners want to check you out, they want to learn more about the human way or your services or anything else, where can they find you? Yeah. So the website's the easiest, hillarycorner.com. You can also reach out to me. It's just my name. There's only one of me in the world. Uh, Hillary at hillarycorner.com, just one L in Hillary. And um, there's the guide, the guide for how to document processes on the website that you can download. And then also um, we have the free worksheet that I open source that I use with all my clients. We only use one tool and we lead uh, process transformations for months, years, and quarters with that one tool. And that's also on the website. So go, all, all of them are free. All of them are open source. Take it and start. Awesome. Hillary, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. It was a great conversation. You're so welcome, Chris. Thanks for loving process as much as I do. I hope we didn't lose people <laughs> along the way. <laughs> we, we process nerded out. We did. <laughs> Thanks for listening to The One Thing Podcast. If you're a bold risk taker who wants to dream big and achieve a higher level of success in your life or business, visit theonething.com. There you'll find information on one-on-one coaching, our exclusive community membership program, and customized workshops that will help you get your team or organization aligned and rowing in the same direction. That's T-H-E, the number one, dot com to start living the life you've always dreamed of today. Be sure to follow the show to stay up to date on weekly episodes, guest interviews, and more. Plus, we would love to hear from you. Send us a voice note by going to speakpipe.com slash the one thing or email us at podcast at the one thing.com. We'll see you next week. <laughs>